Good afternoon and evening and morning. How are you? It's been two weeks. I took two weeks off. I'm not proud of it, but it happened. So I apologize, but I'm back on it. I'm back in it. I'm back at it. That sounds cool. I should start saying that more. Thanks for listening, everybody. It is March 8th. It's my birthday. I'm a 26-year-old male who hasn't accomplished anything in life yet. In two years, I'm going to have a uh, high school reunion. That's wild to think about, you know, because I feel like I'm still a senior, almost, like I just graduated, because I don't have direction. I'm lost in the world. I'm blowing in the wind. But I do have a podcast, so that's cool. Thanks for listening, guys. As always, you've been wonderful, wonderful guests. Um, I had a guest on today by the name of Derek Porterfield. He just wrote a book. It's a great book, great read, fantasy novel, dystopian future. It's called Nomad, N-O-M-O-D. Check it out on Amazon. He's also dropping an album at the end of the year. Not end of the year, sorry. End of the month, end of the end of March, and he's going to perform March 27th. I don't know where yet. I want to say Urbana. But you can find him at Derek Porterfield is not cool on Instagram. He's a good friend of mine. He does music. He is a photographer. He's got he's got a lot of hats. He's a talented man and we had a great conversation. It got pretty political. But it was a great time. I like uh his hearing his wisdom on life and things among that nature. So thank you for being here. I've got a show coming up the 24th at Leftwoods, March 24th. We're open up for this guy. I want to say it's like Roy Davidson. I don't know him, but he's hilarious. I've seen some clips of him, and we're going to have a good time. Also, the 28th at Six Car. That's a big show coming up. We've already sold about 40 tickets. So go online, uh, Yellow City Comedy. Check out the Facebook page. You'll see the event. There's some. There's a link to buy the tickets up there, 5 bucks a piece, or they're $10 at the door. I'm hosting this thing. We're going to blow the damn roof off. <clears throat> also, I've got a clip. I've just recorded uh, five minutes, <clears throat> my best five minutes-ish, for to send to some festivals. So I might leave a link for that. I'm going to drop it soon on my Instagram. Check it out there. Or my Twitter. Check it out there. Or my Facebook. Check it out there. Real underscore Clemente, Mafia Godmother, Clemente's Corner. You know. For just, just search me. You'll find me. Anyway, thanks for listening. I will play a clip. I've started, instead of playing music, I've been playing clips from uh, stand-up because I think it's more fun for me. Uh, it's hilarious. I love stand-up comedy, as you can probably tell. This is uh, a two-minute clip from Shane Gillis he posted on his Twitter. That's the guy who got kicked off of SNL, but he's actually really funny. He got kicked off of SNL for making a joke on a podcast, which is ridiculous, but he's hilarious, I think, Actually getting booted off of SNL has elevated his career in many ways. So this guy is awesome. Be on the lookout for him. He's going to be big soon. Please enjoy this clip and enjoy the podcast. I don't know this episode, but you know what it is. Important. I think it's important for our country to admit one thing. Like left or right, I think we need to come together and admit that he is funny. <laughs> and then we can go from there. Whether that's good or bad. I'm tired of having conversations with people that are like, there's nothing funny about this president. It's like, I don't know. During Hurricane Dorian, he tweeted out, maybe we should nuke it. <laughs> that was a thing. That was a real thing. That happened this year. People, everybody moved on. The president earlier this year was like, we got a big storm coming. You guys want me to fucking blow it up? 
And everyone's like, no. He's like, all right. Offer's on the table. <laughs> but he's, he's funny, and I'm tired of people saying he's not. Like, it's, it's crazy. He is funny. It's funny, too, because I do stand-up in New York, so I hear all these comics, like, all the time be like, the president is, like, an actual red or orange piece of shit. It's like, you're lucky he's not next. He would bury you. He's funnier than most comedians. It's a weird time to live. If I was a Democrat, I'd be, like, begging to get rid of the debates. We need to get rid of Because that's how he went. Like, he's, he's undefeated in debates. He's undefeated in every debate he's been in, and he's never said a fact at one of the debates. He's never, never once said a fact. He argues like a fifth grader, and he's funny. It's impossible to beat him in a debate. You can hit him with as many facts as you want, and he just goes, no. Like, Holy shit. How did no one prepare for that? You could just say no in the middle of the debate. <laughs> and we are off. I'm here with the Derek Porterfield. He is an author and a videographer. He owns a company and he takes wedding photos. And there's another thing you do, don't tell me. He <laughs> makes music. He was at Urbana recently. And it's also my birthday. Anyway, welcome to the podcast, Derek. Happy birthday, Matt. Thanks, man. I'm 43. Dude, you don't you don't look a day over 45, I tell you. Appreciate it. You're looking good. What's your skincare regimen right now? Skincare, uh, it's this there's this soap called uh, alcohol. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You just like drink it, and you pass out. No, I hear it really uh, kind of exfoliates. Probably it's creates rumor. creates a lot of like healthy inflammation. How old are you really? I'm 26. 26. Yeah. God. You're around 30, right? I'm 32. 32. Man. That's 32. a good age. Almost, yeah. almost Jesus's age. Halfway dead. That's right. Or that's, you know, a year away if I'm Jesus. That's exciting. So. Yeah. So you have a book out. I um, do. I do. It's very, very uh, controversial topic you're going with. Uh, the, I believe the title of the book is "How Hitler Wasn't Wrong." So, do you want to kind of explain <laughs> in more detail of that? <laughs> You know, I think I think that's uh, I think that's the the sequel book maybe that you were reading into. Uh, no, um, this this book is uh, it's called Nomad, and it was kind of a passion project over the last year, writing it um, in those rare spare moments, uh, you know, when Hazel was asleep, uh, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun putting it together, a lot of fun writing it. Um, I I'm very excited about it. It's going to be a, uh, a trilogy um i'm working on the second book right now it was cool to push this out uh, amazon has made it to where pretty much anyone can do it so uh even me pretty much can do what just can, can just publish a book um, really yeah it's, it's amazon's uh, made it easier they've made it a lot easier they have a program called kdp mm-hmm. and uh, it's kindle direct publishing nice so uh, it kind of cuts out the middleman it allows you to sell directly to fans um you know it you know this but i'm not terribly popular so uh, it's nice to be able to not have to leverage your your network and your fan base and all that kind of stuff to try mm-hmm. and sell something. You're able to push out these these projects, and, and in this case, you know something that I'm very passionate about. It's a story that I'm I'm excited to tell, yeah. um, and I'm able to tell that and reach more people than I otherwise would have. So that's seems cool. seems like a cool storyline set in the future. It is. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. It's kind of a you know I've always dug the dystopian kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and you know it's it's talking more than anything else. It is a call 
uh, on people to question anyone that is holding power, to question people that are, uh, you know, controlling any amount of money or influence. And uh, in this particular case, in, in this particular story, it's the mm-hmm. church. And uh, at least looking around, that's something that we could all kind of stand to question a little bit more. Definitely. I like that. And the character has a mute cat. Yes, yes. Uh, It's a a cute little fictional cat creature, kind of like a sugar glider. And, uh, you know, it has wings. It can't fly, though. And it has a ability to remove sound from the environment around it, working similar to if you've ever used noise-canceling headphones. Mm. It plays a uh, reverse frequency and can remove sounds that operate at those frequencies. So kind of accepts whatever's happening in the environment and pushes out something different and makes Whoa. it makes it appear appear completely uh bereft of sound like a spy gadget yeah it's very very similar to like a james Bond spy gadget uh but anthropomorphized into a cat that's beautiful <laughs> and the cat's name is bruce bruce yes like yes yes um yeah it, it, dude it's it's so much fun i i have this uh i have this thing that i've been kind of talking about ever since writing this i think every single person has some story that they're floating around with and it's a shame not to tell it. I think, Mm. I think every single person should at least attempt to write a book. Um, you know, you have, uh, your own experiences, especially tied to comedy. Mm -hmm. I think you'd write a hilarious book and, and put it out just, just talking about some of the experiences you've had trying to get, um, some of your comedy gigs and setting Mm -hmm. up within the industry. And, and it's a unique experience because I, I feel like most comedy books that you're reading are people uh, I, I read one from um, Steve Martin, mm-hmm. and y- you have a guy that's already made it, and he's talking about all these things that have have happened since then, and that's interesting in its own right. But I think the more interesting story you, you talk about, like superhero origin stories, you're kind of in the origin stage, and I think that's honestly the struggles and the the mm-hmm. interesting stories that you have from there. Are, I don't know; they make for a better story than most things. Possibly, that's a good way to look at it. So write long, a book. Write how, a book. How long did it take you to write your book? It was about a year, year and a half. Really? Um, nice. It's, uh, it being the first book, the, the biggest part of the biggest chunk of that was kind of revising, editing, going back and forth and, and learning what I was doing. You know, what you sit down and, and, uh, if you're writing a, an essay or, you know, something for school, there's mm-hmm. this very clear goal that you have in mind and you're trying to get that across, uh, get across an idea that's pretty specific and, and has a definite end limit, mm-hmm. um, for this book, I wanted to make something that was uh, not wasting words, if that makes sense. I wanted to make something that, would, as you read it, you never feel like I'm just rambling. And so I wanted to edit it down to where uh, every single page should at least move the plot forward. Yeah, and there's no fluff. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Well, and I, you know, ever since uh, Hazel was born, I feel mm-hmm. like I have less and less time in a day. And it's harder for me to pick up books that I don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of sympathize with people that might be looking at my book and be like, ah, I don't Derek's not an established author. I'm not going to read from him. So if I can provide value in a shorter form, mm-hmm. I think that's. But now you are established. You're <laughs> yeah. on Amazon. <clears throat> that's right. That's right. So uh, the mark of true success is is all uh, 10 books that I've sold on Amazon. You know. Oh, that's... yeah. <laughs> that's 10 more than zero. It is. It is. Beautiful. I haven't um, gotten into your book yet. I'm listening to, your, to Andrew's right now. Yes, he's he's got a great book, um, A Leaf and Pebble, and he put it out uh, last into last year. That's an, an interesting world he's created. It is, and and you know he has uh, he has such a wealth of experience behind him 
reading uh, so many fantasy novels and so many, most of the good books that I have read in my life were recommended to me by Andrew. Nice. Um, so it, it's it's interesting to see him creating his own worlds and creating his own characters and, and running with that now because uh, it's it's kind of like watching watching a. a almost like a parent figure, you know, like someone who has recommended all these cool things uh, mm-hmm. start creating something new. And it's been cool watching it. And it's been cool seeing how much traction that book has gotten, man. He's, uh, it's kind of taken off. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. He's, I'm, I'm watching his Instagram feed and, and there's a, there's a girl overseas that shared a picture of her reading the book. And there's a girl up in, uh, uh the upper Northwest. Andrew has a lot better luck with girls than me, I think. So <laughs> he's a good, he's a good looking man. He is, man. He is. I, I wish some of those genetics had rubbed off on me, you know, <laughs> Thank God this is a podcast. <laughs> right. Um, so let's talk about your music. I didn't get a chance to go watch it at Urbana. I started a new job uh, working at Starbucks. Oh, thank you. I didn't know you worked at Starbucks. Which Starbucks are you at? That's brand new. I'm working on Georgia, but I actually be at the location right across the street from Urbana. They're opening okay, yeah. up a new one. Yeah. So. Um, uh, Macy is going to be over there. She used to work at Urbana. So yeah, we're going to put Urbana out of, out of business. Okay. I hope not, man. I love Urbana. It's Those a guys cool place. have been really good to me. Um, They've been they've been really good at, at promoting, which uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know help, helping me kind of get some of the stuff out there. We it was a fun show. Um, we I've been playing music since I was fifteen, and mm. uh, I've been bad at it since I was fifteen. But I, I just enjoy the hell out of it. So it's awesome. Um, yeah, we we had the show there. I'm hopefully gonna be playing at the end of this month, uh, the 27th. We're supposed to have a show, and I'm trying to work out with a couple other bands here in town, uh, seeing if we can get something scheduled Mm -hmm. uh i'll tell you man and you tell me if this is the same in comedy but um and and you're very old now you know you're 26 um yeah old decrepit i i feel like it's kind of harder to schedule things that involve more than just you um and and i don't know how you do it you do a really good job with the yellow city comedy stuff uh it seems like you were constantly rotating events and you're juggling now a new job you're juggling mm-hmm. a relationship you're juggling mm-hmm. um all your friendships on top of all of that i it's impressive to me i i struggle with the scheduling side of things to I be fair i don't have that many friendships <laughs> so uh, well i i hope you count me among those friendships um if <laughs> yeah, you don't it's gonna hurt my feelings um but but it's something that's very impressive to me because this is this can be a hard town to schedule events mm-hmm. um you get a lot of pushback and i I have referenced you in other conversations as uh, kind of being single-handedly responsible for the fact that we have a comedy scene now. Um, and I, that's impressive. That's something you should be proud of. Thanks, man. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to break back into what the music scene is, and it is, it is tough for me right now um, because a, a great example, I had a show scheduled um, a couple weekends ago and had to cancel the show because I ended up having to work. Um, mm. And it's great. It's great to make money, but... Um, you know, this was a lot easier when I was a teenager. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. But you also, the work you do is, like, something that you enjoy. I love it's like it, a, man. Yeah. It's, it's not like, oh, I had to go into fucking Target, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. No, and, and, and it's a it's a rare thing. I'm, I, I'm able to recognize better now how lucky I am to be able to do the, the kind of stuff that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It's, there's a lot of freedom with it that I just haven't ever had in my life. Um so, so it's cool to be able to, when I go in, I'm stoked about what I'm working on. I'm stoked to, uh, especially at weddings, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm going to go hang out with people that are happy and committing to each other and they're going to feed me great food. Uh, the last wedding, they gave me beers at the reception. We all hung out and 
talked and nice. it feels like you build these friendships with people that before you were a part of their wedding, mm-hmm. they were complete strangers. And that's, I don't know any other career like that. It's fun. That is really cool. Um, has anyone asked you for uh, divorce photos? <laughs> Cause that'd be interesting. <laughs> no, thank, thank God. I don't, I don't think there have been any divorces over the 10 years over the 10 years I've done this. I don't think there's a divorce yet. Nice. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed that or knock on wood and hopefully I didn't jinx it just now, but Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm the glue that holds a couple together. If you hire me, your marriage is successful. That's <laughs> I saw through your uh, collection of photos that you uh, photographed uh, a guy named Tyler Gress. Do you yes. know who that is? Okay. Tyler, Tyler and Sydney were two of the kindest. They they were one of my favorite couples that I've ever yeah. filmed. Um, just two of the kindest people I've ever met. I don't know Sydney, but I worked at Crunch briefly, so like I knew oh, Tyler. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was my boss. My boss's boss. I don't know if he's my boss, but he was up there. Yeah, Tyler, uh, he's about to move. I think he's moving to Cal- or, uh, not California, to um, Lubbock, to open a Lubbock store for Crunch. And uh, truly, I, I can't, I want to be like Tyler, if that makes sense. I want, yeah. I want to have that attitude. I want to have that um, compassion that he just carries around, dude. He's, uh, he's a driven, very motivated, cool individual. Yeah, good dude, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Cause that was, yeah, they was, I was like putting in my two weeks and then I was pretty much just like talking shit on the company. And then I was like, but you guys are cool. I love you guys, but I like, I hate this place. <laughs> yeah. And I know it's not your fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what was it like working at the, uh, at the gym, man? Was that kind of cool? You got a free gym membership, surely. Yeah, it was cool. I still have a free membership. What? Yeah. So they didn't get rid of it. So that's cool. Yeah, well, but uh, don't put that on the podcast. I mean, oh, they don't listen. They'll be alerted. <laughs> Corporate's gonna hear. It's it's cool. It's like it's fun. Like when you're training people, but then you know you're making like very little amount of money. Is that what you did, PT? Yeah. So I'd get like you'd get like ten bucks for every thirty minute session, and you're not allowed to clock in or out, so you can't like do anything but train. And so I'd I'd get like. 10 bucks yeah i'd get like 300 to 400 dollars a month and i'd just be like i can't keep doing this like (laughs) that is insane i can make more money at starbucks so i'm gonna go (laughs) yeah yeah well and uh i've had a couple friends that work for starbucks it's Mm -hmm. honestly a decent company to work for they have they pay really well the benefits are awesome yeah i was surprised um and and i kind of i love the ethos of of what starbucks is doing as a business i talked about this this morning with someone else but um you look at the way that they have tried to scale a small coffee shop atmosphere up to a McDonald's scale. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's incredible to me, and I think they're largely successful. I, I have almost zero problems with Starbucks, and I'm you know me, I'm a I'm a coffee snob, uh, but they're they're doing really good things. Mm-hmm. And they give you a free bag of coffee every week. Yes, and yes. a free meal every time you clock in. Yes. So and and it's baller. Uh, more companies. I I think more companies should take notes from that uh because your your turnover is going to be a lot less mm-hmm. you know you're less motivated to search for another company when you're getting paid well and you feel as though they actually give a shit about you as a employee exactly the opposite of how i felt at crunch yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and that's a great example of two you know crunch is not a small company yeah um that's a that's an example of how they could learn from starbucks just a little little respect and a little money goes a long way yeah you're just uh you're just a number there yeah it's very it's very clear well, and people recognize the way you treat people. It, I, I think they see that before they actually even realize it in their own heads. They mm-hmm. they realize uh, how badly they're being treated. They can feel it, and you carry yeah. that around. And that myopathy, that that sadness, is just kind of um, that's what pushes you out the door before you even realize what you're doing. 
For sure. Yeah, I do have a training certification. It's good for like two years. I don't know if I'll use it. Can you just go somewhere else and do that? Like, let's say you wanted to go to Verger. Yeah, or I, can, I can go Cal literally. Club I can or... go literally anywhere. Like um, Verger, you have to be employed. Oh, okay. Um, okay. By the company, but most places like Town Club, Zach's. It would pay pretty well. Wherever too, else right? you you set your them. you set your own uh, hours, you set your own pay. You're an independent contractor. So. Oh, that'd be great. Why don't you do that? Well, I don't really have time right now. That's fair. Yeah, because I'm working to move to Dallas, and I've, I've I've got my foot in the door at Starbucks. I can just transfer, and I've got my foot in the door at this bank, um, Happy State, Austin Bank, probably the best company I've ever They're worked great. for. They're great. Yeah. But uh, I'm want, I'd like to transfer to Dallas if I can with them. If not, I can find another bank job because the experience is phenomenal. So, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to look forward. So. I don't know. I don't know if I'll be training in the future, but it was fun to do. Well, it's cool I learned that you a lot. have that on your resume now. It's kind of a that's kind of a cool little offshoot. Yeah, that was also my plan. Is like before I move, before I leave Amarillo, I want to make sure I put as much shit on my resume as I can. Right. So when are you leaving? Uh, I want to move by November. Dude, all of my friends are moving to Dallas. Everyone. I that's what I did yesterday. I left. You moved to Dallas. I well, we, <laughs> I, I left with a buddy of mine at, at five in the morning, and we went apartment hunting. So went through four different apartments, three or four different apartments, mm-hmm. and he picked one. We moved a couple of things in, and uh, he'll be moved next week. So Nice. Where did he move to? Because there's so many little towns. There is, and, and I'm bad with Dallas, man. It's somewhere north North Dallas. North Park, maybe? I heard, does that sound right? North is a good side. Um, yeah, yeah, I was looking around. Irving seems to have some pretty decent um, housing. There's a, I mean, the only thing I know about Irving, there's a really good venue there, uh, something Toyota Center or something like that, and we, we're going to yeah. try and go see a concert there. But I just want to be as close to, like, the middle of Dallas as I can, so. Like downtown? Yeah, just just near the comedy clubs. Um, How is their comedy scene there? Have you been down there, done any shows down there? I haven't done any shows, but, I mean, I know it's huge. They've got, they've got three comedy clubs. Um, Talk- I think. Talk to me about like breaking into a bigger town like that because I, I feel like one of the advantages here, um, or maybe it's a disadvantage too. I, I don't know really, but one it's of the advantages both. here would be um, because they're we're completely bereft of of a comedy center. You're able to say like, hey, this is what we're doing now. Mm-hmm. But there's also no comedy clubs, so you're not able to just swing in and be like, hey, I'm a comedian. Yeah, I, I don't mean, know. I I haven't broken into the scene yet, but I mean, I imagine if you just work really hard, you're gonna get noticed. I mean, maybe not notice, notice, but the other comics are going to respect you and book you for shows and things. That's what I like to think would happen. What uh, what would you say is working hard in comedy? Like, what 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 does that look like? Is it doing a bunch of shows, or is it also is there backward? Because I know you have a YouTube channel. You're about to post mm-hmm. another video on there. Um, you're do you run a blog? Do you do? You're obviously doing the podcast. Yeah, I count I count my podcast as a blog, um, vlog, or odd audio blog i don't know what you call it i think you call it a podcast yeah we'll just maybe <laughs> maybe we'll use the term podcast but no i don't blog We're innovators um blogging wouldn't be a bad idea but um, are you a good writer I w- i've been a decent writer i feel like most comedians are good writers because um, you're that's really what comedy is you've you've written out these clever turns yeah. of phrase these clever jokes writing was always my favorite subject in school and i was really good at it but um i haven't practiced it aside from writing comedy so I don't know. I think I, I'm decent at it. Anyway, um, working hard in comedy, I I would just think it's just going to mics and bringing new material, Const- just writing, because I think it's really easy to be like, oh, I've got a really good five minutes. Yeah, and yeah. And I'm gonna do this for 
10 years. How hard is it to get a, a 30 minute setup? You know, I, I, I feel like a feature is one hour, right? That's, that's typically like a comedy feature, but 30 minutes is, is like goal. Mm-hmm. I would assume. Or is uh, it 15? Is 15 what you're supposed to be doing? Well, one hour is like the long-term goal, but, uh, yeah. That's when Netflix is calling you, right? Yeah. Like a good, a good 15 to 20 is all you really need to like, uh, you know, tour. So talk, talk to me about that. Like, like, you know, we talked about, it took me a year, year and a half to write my book. What does yeah. it take to write 15 minutes of comedy? Like how, how long are you working on that? That depends. Like, I mean, I had 15 minutes of comedy about a month in, but it was like trash comedy. So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, f- I feel like that's your, that's your, it's the reason I respect comedy so much that you kind of your early stage is you are testing material and mm-hmm. honing while you're performing. And that's, that's tough. That is, and crowds too can have a lot to do with is this actually a good joke or is this a crowd that doesn't catch my type of comedy yeah you um, don't you don't really get to practice yeah well and, and you have a uh that thing we just watched you have a couple clever jokes like the jeffrey Dahmer joke is a mm-hmm. clever joke um how often do you have these things that you're, you you said you know i like that joke mm-hmm. how often do you throw those out because they're not hitting i don't throw anything out unless Ever. it's just unless Ever. it's if it's topical then i do it for a couple of weeks but like I save everything I write. So eventually I'm going to bring it back, rewrite it, rework it. It's still, because I know it's a good idea. Like I know right. Dahmer is a funny topic. I know cannibalism is a funny topic. Yes. And I know I can make it work eventually if it's not going to work right now. So I can always like six months from now, 12 months from now, three years from now, I can be like, oh, I remember that one joke I had. Right. Now I have right. a new twist to it. What are what are the funniest topics to you? Like, what are the most consistent? If a comedian is talking about those, you're going to identify with. Um, that's a good question. I like I realize this. Most of my jokes involve sex, and it's not. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't do it on purpose. <laughs> but they all, the punchline just somehow gravitates towards sex. Um, but something that relates to me when I like when I see another comic. I don't know. I just. Just that they're taking risks, I think, is what I respect. So who's your um, who's your favorite comedian right now? I talked to you last time you were on the mm-hmm. podcast. Has it changed? Nah, I think it's still no. Probably Andrew Schultz right now. I love Andrew Schultz, man. Yeah. He is he is funny and consistent. Yeah, and that's a prime example of taking risks. How is is he the guy? Um, I may be mixing him up. Um, Nick sends me videos that he does, but he's he's kind of running a YouTube thing right now. Like that's kind of his how he's popping off, right? Yeah, he got rejected by everybody, so he was like, "All right, I'm gonna start uploading specials to YouTube," and he's getting he's just doing it on his own. Too. Yeah, millions of hits, and finally, like a company's reached out to him, and now they're paying him a lot of money to like go record his his uh, special. And that's another. You know, do you use do you use your podcast as practice? It feels like his podcast is is, is practice too. Like when he's talking with, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know the other two guys that he's talking about, but those are hilarious little short clips on on Twitter. Oh, the flagrant too. Uh, yes, it's I think so. Yeah, yeah, Indian yeah. guy named Akash. Yes, and a black guy. Yeah, and the stuff they talk about is is hilarious. Yeah, but it just feels like he's just mining for content. You know, like that does it does seem that way. They had uh they had Shane Gillis on. And they were, uh, the, you remember the Parkland, uh, you remember the Parkland shooting? Yes. Yes. They were all like taking turns, like roasting the security guard who was like scared to go in and they were just making up scenarios. And I was, I was laughing so fucking hard. They were oh my just, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, but I, I, I think we are a time. I talked about this yesterday when, when Jordan and I were in the car, uh, driving back from Dallas, uh, when you have people swinging so wildly towards protecting one another from from speech that is harmful, mm-hmm. I love a comedian that swings the opposite direction. Yeah, and, uh, you know it's. 
I think it is uh, a good thing to remember that offense is never given, it's always taken. And you, you are able to kind of limit your exposure to things, but, but that's the coolest thing about living in this mm-hmm. country right now. Um, we, we have the ability to kind of say whatever we want and offend whoever we yeah. want, and I think that's powerful, that's important. I think, yeah, Richard, Richard Pryor went to jail, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so did George Carlin. They, yeah. both, they both went to jail for obscenity charges. Um, that looked ridiculous 10 years out. You know, we looked back mm-hmm. and thought that's ridiculous. Does it look that ridiculous now? You know, dude, yeah. I think we need people like Andrew Scholes pushing that, that line and saying, Hey, if freedom is important no matter mm-hmm. who, but, it, but especially if you disagree with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the PC thing is, is, is kind of good in a way because it's like, it's forcing you to write smarter. Yes. Like you can be offensive, but you have to be smart about it. Like you can't just like, you know, I don't know. I was going to say back in the eighties, but there was a time where you just be like, I'm going to go on stage and say fag and people are going to laugh. Right. Right. But now you can't. Now your joke about where you mention the word fag has to be really smart. It has, has to, to be intelligent. You need, you need poignancy. You need to be, uh, you need to be clever. And mm-hmm. I like, I like the people that are trying to do that. And, and I also respect the people that are failing doing it because it, you're getting up there and you're, you're making an effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, it forces the art form forward. It yeah, forces it people it to, better. it yes. makes comedy better as a whole. I, and I think comedy is better as a whole. I think, uh, I think it's drastically better. I think it's improved tons in the last mm-hmm. decade. Um, where previously, you know, you, you did, you had lazy comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, what a, what a cool time would that have been to have that as your career? Gosh, I, I feel like writing was a lot easier. Maybe. Oh, definitely. <laughs> you, you don't have to, the bar's so low, you step on stage and people are drunk enough and you're going to make a little money maybe. Cause yeah, I hear I hear stories about comics in the '80s who would just do their same 30 minutes for a decade, and well, they would they'd make money doing it. And without the internet, where everyone's exposed to your 30 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, you know you're exposed to a new crowd every night. That's true that's, too. That's a it's kind of the same problem I think musicians mm-hmm. are running into. You know, uh, I don't like the shift towards singles. Mm-hmm. I I love album concepts. One yeah. of my, one of my very favorite records is is Watsky's X Infinity. Mm-hmm. Um, he released these fantastic tracks and then he released a full slew of music videos for the entire album and they all tie together and it's great and i think it's it's a whole art piece Mm -hmm. and we're moving away from that in favor of of these one-offs because a attention spans are Mm -hmm. are getting a lot shorter but also as a musician or as an artist it's hard to keep up when people are exposed to your stuff across the whole world without you ever touching them you know and and it's free you can't make money off of someone streaming your spotify that's what i always loved about the band tool before they started streaming their music, you know, <laughs> yeah, cause yeah. they were like, we want you to buy the whole thing. Cause it's a package. We want you to like hold the album, look at all the artwork in it. Yes. They want you to listen to it from front to back. Otherwise you're wasting your time. Well, and they, they had very cool concepts with their album releases mm-hmm. too. You know, the, I, I still remember the 10,000 days album art when I went and picked that up, I think it was in high school and you know, it had the little 3d glasses and the booklet that you yeah. flipped through. Um, it's and like, no one else was doing that. It's like a dead art form now. It is. Um, and that's kind of sad because... It is, uh, for sure. I don't know if you were ever really a, a, a gamer guy, but um, same thing with video games. You used to have these booklets full of art and, and maps. That's true, and, yeah. And stuff like that. And I loved that. I, I loved... remember how big the Halo 2 release was, and it came in this metal case. Yes, yes. And yeah, was that was a great like... case, and it, and it was hefty. It felt cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you go home and, and open it up, and I remember like while it's loading up, I'm flipping through the book. I'm I'm For reading sure. in the back of the car as mom's driving me home. You know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, I, and, and I don't know that it's necessarily a sad or a bad thing that those things are going away, but I'd love to see them replaced with something else that's that's modernized um, and and more appropriate for this generation. My fear is that 
we've we've replaced it with just shortened attention spans and people who don't care. And so it's mm-hmm. it's all digestible in a in a much shorter period. Uh, a perfect example, you know, it, within the realm of video games, my favorite video game right now is Modern Warfare. And the reason for that is because I'm able to hop on with Nick down in Dallas. We can play 15 minutes or we can play five hours, mm-hmm. and it's literally no different. I I've played an hour of the campaign. I and I haven't picked it back up. That's a uh, I don't know. It's indicative of my shortened attention span. Yeah. Well, also, I feel like Call of Duty in particular, they're not really campaign heavy. <laughs> no, they aren't. But, but you know, Call of Duty uh, 4 um, was, was lauded for, uh, you know, All Gillied Up was one of the best uh, uh, single-player campaign levels um, nice. in, in history. Uh, you know, they... But, but the shift towards multiplayer is a smart shift on their part. Like, as a company, mm-hmm. you have to recognize... Uh, you have millions of people logging on just to play multiplayer, and mm. they, they don't care about the story you're trying to tell. For sure. I, Modern Warfare 2, I think, had a great uh, campaign storyline. You know, the uh, um, did you play the airport level? Yeah, where you shoot uh, Russian. Yeah, yeah, no Russian. No <laughs> Russian. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah. wild. And um, I'm, I'm a big proponent of video games as, as a... Um, I, I think it's the most important art form to come out in, in our lifetimes. Interesting. Um, I... I love the way they tell stories and I think you can personalize and that's a perfect example of how you can personalize something that uh, otherwise you're distant from you know if mm-hmm. I if I watch the news and I see uh, that the Russians killed a bunch of people in the Ukraine or wherever I don't know um, those are not people in my mind they're they're numbers on the screen for sure but when I'm playing a video game and I'm a Russian person going through a airport watching all these other people get murdered mm-hmm. um, that's a powerful thing to put someone in that perspective and i don't think movies can do it uh, i don't think books can do it i don't think it's true any yeah. other form of entertainment can put you in that perspective and we're just now touching the outer edges of what that art form will become i never thought of it that way that's that's great yeah and then the, there's these cinematic games like i don't know if you've heard the last of us that is my favorite game of all times love it it's a magnificent game and it's it's like you're in a movie it's, it is it's amazing it's a it great is. story i uh there was a brief period in time where I, I was talking about, I think everyone should play that game. Um, mm-hmm. And I would love to watch someone play it, you know, being a, a just a backseat watch it because it's, it is very cinematic. It's, it's a movie of um, just incredible emotional depth. Uh, have you ever read the road by Cormac McCarthy? Yeah. Um, that's what it reminded me of and mm-hmm. in, in certain aspects of that, of that game, because you have this, this, um, father figure and kid figure going through this wasteland together and especially in those quiet moments where you have uh, Ellie and I forget the guy's name um, but but they're kind of weaving through the desolation and there are these these slight moments one of my favorite moments is when they see the uh, the giraffes I, I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. this but, but you walk up over this ridge and there's the sun setting in the distance and there are these giraffes amongst just destruction and all the zombies are gone but mm-hmm you still feel that weight in the back of your head while you're watching the scene and you're playing through the scene. Um, it just, it reminded me of kind of that melancholy try to find beauty no matter where you're at. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful way to put it. But yeah, I, I could talk video games all, all day. Like what's your, what's your favorite video game of all time? That's mine. That That's 100% mine. I would say uh, fallout three. I'm oh, still a great game. I'm still behind that game 100%. S- similar concept too. You know, you have mm-hmm. this this desolate wasteland that you're you're combing through and and trying to survive in. Um the the part where you see the the cave with the young kids, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So 
the book that I wrote, um, there's there's a part of it that is inspired by by that part of Fallout Three, um, nice. I, because that stuck with me. I remember playing that game. I was in uh, shitty apartments. Um, do you remember Three Fountains? It's the granite now. Um, three fountains. I think three so. fountains apartments. It, it's like there was like a meth head in the laundry room all the time, scattering their their magazines oh, all over the walls. I'm pretty sure it was Dave. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. You remember Dave? And uh, I would go upstairs and we'd play this game. And I remember hitting that section where you see all the kids that are just kind of turned towards like cannibalism and, and mm-hmm. sadness. And the the cannibalistic part is not not in my book, but but these kids running themselves and governing themselves and figuring out um, how to live in. Uh, the absence of, of parental figures mm-hmm. that was that was a big uh, weight that I just kind of carried around after playing that game and it's it's a beautiful well done game I don't think Fallout 4 is good um, yeah I don't either and I honestly didn't like New Vegas as much I feel like I'm an outlier there I didn't enjoy New, New Vegas, Vegas was fun I didn't I never got around to completely finishing it but I had a, I had a good time playing New Vegas but yeah Fallout 3 is just it's the storylines are like massive and there's just so much there's so much I don't know how you get that much detail into a yes. game. It blows my mind. But I haven't played the other versions they have, uh, like uh, Oblivion or what's the other one called that everyone is into with Skyrim. the dragons? Skyrim. Skyrim. Yeah, I didn't but play Skyrim either. I'm sure their storylines are pretty detailed as well. Would you Would you say you're more a sci-fi or more a fantasy guy? Mm, I'd say fantasy. Really? I think, so. Yeah. So you should play Skyrim. Probably. I For me, those, those stories never really resonate. Like my, my favorite fantasy book is, is uh, The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. And I, I yeah. enjoyed it because of nostalgia and because I, that was one of the first mm-hmm. real big books that I read as a kid, you know, where you just, you pour yourself into it. And again, going back to like the maps and stuff, that was my favorite part of that book. You had the first two pages were a map of everywhere that, that, uh, he, he was going throughout that, that journey. But yeah, those, those books, I definitely, yeah, I definitely choose Lord of the Rings over Star Wars. I can't get into Star Wars. Really? Do you, do you like the, the books, Lord of the Rings? Mm-hmm. Really? I mean, they're really long and they boring. They are. I, I didn't enjoy them at all. I, I love didn't, the movies. <laughs> love the movies. I read a couple of them like in like third and fourth grade, and like it's it's one of those books where you're like, this is really hard to read. But by the time you finish, you're like, okay, I appreciated it. Like <laughs> that's fair. Uh, for me, for me, that book was 1984. Um, mm. I it was it was kind of a slog to get through, but the last probably hundred pages made everything worth it. Yeah. Or like, uh, you ever, did you ever read A Tale of Two Cities in high school? No. That book was hard as fuck I to read. But hate Dickens. <laughs> hate Dickens, <laughs> man. But by the time you finish, you're like, okay, I see what they were trying to get yeah, at. Yeah, would it take like four years to finish? <laughs> yeah. It's just a, that is a slog, man. That that's, is. That's the first uh, time I heard the term doppelganger. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that stands out. You know, my first time hearing doppelganger was a Spider-Man game. Hmm, nice. Um, I think it was a villain. A, a villain Spider-Man? Yeah, like a like a. It looked like Carnage, kind of, mm. um, but they called him Doppelganger. Nice. Germans. Yeah, that was PlayStation. PlayStation One. So it's a good time. Revealing how how frequently I've wasted time playing video games. I think, but quite a bit. Yeah, too too much. Hmm. I was gonna move over to music. What genre do you consider yourself? Singer songwriter? Is that? No, that's that a great way to describe it. That's yeah. a great way to describe it. Um, you know, I, I tell people that, that the genre of music I played died in the early 2000s, and I'm, I'm just hanging on for dear life. I love it. I wish you would step back from that ledge, <laughs> yeah. my friend. Right there? Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's it. Honestly, honestly, I, I love I love the emotion um, inside those lyrics when you had very, uh, very lyric-driven music. We don't really have that anymore. If you think about... Um, I, I don't want to say anymore. There's, there's still people definitely writing lyric-driven music, but the most popular stuff right now is... is uh, you have an EDM drop, and the 
the hook doesn't even have words. A lot of times it's, it's mm-hmm. you know, like a, a cool little um, synth line. And I think yeah. that's cool. I, I love the, that music. I'm, and I'm in love with Griffin. I think they are um, kind of like the chain smokers in, in that they have perfected the art form to the point that they are manipulating your emotions mm-hmm. while you are listening to them. And that's, that's a cool uh, step forward in music, in my opinion. But I've always identified with, uh, you know, a dude and a guitar singing about mm-hmm. a girl, and that's most of my music. Nice. Yeah, speaking of not being lyric-driven, I haven't listened to the Chainsmokers in depth, but just that one <laughs> single where they have a song that doesn't say anything. It's like... Which one? Which one? Uh, with your roommate back in Boulder, we ain't never uh, getting old. It's just saying, like, very generic, broad statements. You're, you're, <laughs> you're going to hate me for this. I that, that and Paris are two of my very favorite Chainsmokers songs. Really? And, and I don't know why this this may re- be revealing of, of a lack of character on my part, but um, the, both of those, for whatever reason, slapped in on on the emotional heartstrings inside of my chest. So oh, the so song sounds great. It's I, and you're right. It, there's a lot of generic stuff it's very going through there. Yeah. It is. It's it's catchy. And but for me, it's catchy in the right way. And and uh, Paris, it, I don't know if you ever watched. There's a YouTuber called Todd in the Shadows. I mm-hmm. highly recommend him. He does pop song reviews. But he did a review over Paris for Chainsmokers, and there's this part, um, and I don't remember either the guy's name, but the singer, um, towards the end of the song, he tries to go up an oct- octave, and we were living in Paris, and it, his voice like breaks as he's trying to get up there, and that emotion that you're getting out of this EDM artist who is playing clubs and doing all of this empty stuff starts to resonate in a different way. It's kind of like a, it, Katy Perry has this song... Um, uh, oh gosh, it's it's one of her latest singles. She's riding on a on a roller coaster. I'll have to look up what the what the name of it I is. I haven't heard anything recent from Katy Perry. Well, there's a reason. You know, she she's kind of fallen off, and uh, in that song, Katy Perry is kind of talking about like she's a slave to this music. Um, Never worn white. No, that's her newest single though, and uh, I've she heard it's pregnant? pretty good. Yeah, she's she's pregnant. Orlando Bloom knocked her up, man. So that's gonna be a really pretty Orlando kid. Orlando Bloom, good job. A really pretty kid, um, and and you know I feel I feel good for uh, Katy Perry. I feel like she is um, turning around. I, yeah, she got weird there for a minute. She did, and and man, wouldn't you? I I, I feel like yeah, probably. <laughs> I, have, I have such enormous sympathy for um, people who are artists and thrown into the spotlight mm-hmm. and trying to capitalize on that because you're you're walking this very weird line between you know cutting your veins open and sharing your heart Mm -hmm. and making a ton of money and maintaining jobs for four or five hundred people that tour with you you yeah i mean there's there's nothing normal about being that famous no no look at uh justin bieber is my common refrain with this but Mm -hmm. if you had given me that kind of money at 15 or 16 years old i would be a broken human right now I would not be holding myself together as well as him. Like his newest album, I'm not a fan of. I don't don't really dig it. Yeah, I didn't like Love it Justin much. Bieber. Love Justin Bieber. I think I think he is a fantastically talented mm-hmm. artist. He is very talented. Um, I just want to know like how many times he was sexually assaulted. Oh God! By like oh, God! <laughs> by you gotta warn moms. me before we go down the alley, <laughs> Matt. You gotta you gotta warn me before we turn down I mean, that alley. It was most likely consensual, <laughs> but still. Like how many forty-year-old women are just? I want to blow this twelve-year-old. You know, like it had to happen. Is uh, well, it, that's that's another terrifying thing as a as a parent. You know, I look at mm-hmm. the success of some of these kids, but weighed against those types of experiences because that's that's got to screw you up really bad when you're touring the world and having 
the most beautiful women in the world throwing themselves mm-hmm. at you at, you know, peak puberty. Yeah. I can't imagine. Like, I couldn't talk to women at, at, at 14. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't talk to women at 32. I don't know what that would have been like when, <laughs> when my formative years str- stumbling through that were instead getting off a stage where I just paid, played yeah. for 55,000 people. and You don't even have to talk. No. The jaw is just unhinged for you. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that's that's a that's a terrifying place. Like what is what is his mom and dad? Like I don't I don't know anything about his personal life really, but like what what do you what do you do as a parent in that situation when you're toting your kid around and he's making millions of dollars? Yeah. Is that a is that a net good or a net negative? I don't know. I feel like but by the time he hits stardom, you're not his parent anymore. You yeah. Know? You're yeah. Just <laughs> no, he's he's uh he's owned by BMI. I'll now. see you in eight months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh they they it's just different different yeah and, super weird um I, did you watch the taylor swift documentary on netflix no it's fantastic taylor um, swift is doing this woke thing where it's like you remember when everyone was like why isn't taylor swift talking about politics and now yes. she's like i'm super progressive no 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 she's like shut the fuck up dude <laughs> <laughs> okay so how do you feel about that like like uh celebrities getting into politics or or even um mid-level celebrities mm. getting into politics i think know? everyone should be get into politics like i hate that shit when they're like Shut up and dribble, LeBron James. Well, what do you do, dude? Well, yes. I'm, I'm a plumber. Okay, well, shut up and fix toilets. Like, hundred <laughs> percent agree. Like that is their career. And if you are given a stage uh, from which to speak, mm-hmm. use it. Um, otherwise, you're wasting your position. Like yeah. shutting up and dribbling. What is more pointless than mm-hmm. dribbling? Like it's great that he's making money. It's great that he's given this platform. Now he's using it. Mm-hmm. And whether or not you agree with him, at least the guy's trying. Yeah, um, absolutely. Sa- same same way with Taylor Swift, man. Like. Um, I, I think, I just feel like she's pandering. She is. And, and so, so a great example of that was her, uh, you need to calm down music video, man, that felt forced. That felt super strange. It felt out of place for her. Um, it, you know, you can, you can be an advocate for LGBT rights with, mm-hmm. with out looking like that. I feel like there are people that have done it so much better and she has so much money and has this huge team she could have mm-hmm. done about it it's not a bad song it's not a bad music video it's just it, it it fell off and i yeah i don't think i'm alone in saying that i i think a lot of people watched that and said was this was this actually about gay rights or is this another song about taylor that she just pigeonholed in gay rights so that she could hit the tops mm-hmm. of the charts because me didn't perform very well yeah it's, it's gross when it's forced it, yeah well and it, and it comes across as a uh a manipulated focus group where you know that someone spent a million dollars trying to figure out like, Hey, what's, uh, what's trending and what do we need to shape this song around? Mm -hmm. And, and okay, well let's get in the studio and we'll make that. Um, so I, I love Taylor Swift. I'm a huge fan of Taylor Swift. Uh, I did not like reputation. The the newer Mm -hmm. record I I dig, I dig a lot, but I would love to see her and Justin Bieber and, and some of these really big pop stars from the last 10 years, take a step back and, and release like a very serious, very kind of, um, soul bearing record where mm-hmm. you feel earnestness and authenticity and honesty in the lyricism and, and in the instrumentation. Uh, I think it would do, I don't know if it would do well, but man, I'd love to hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Did you see a Ricky Gervais at the, at that award show? Uh, the, the, which, which one was it? The Emmys? I want to, yeah, probably the Emmys. I don't, uh, I'm not a hundred percent. He had like a, the whole thing was pretty controversial, but he got some good jabs in, didn't he? Yeah. He like, he, he was like, Hey, celebrities, 
don't come up here and give a political statement because nobody gives a shit. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and, and, and how disingenuous does it feel? It, I, he kind of brought up the dichotomy between like, you know, you're preaching about all of this and you all flew on your private jets to get up here. Yeah, and exactly. You're walking yes. away with $20,000 bags of, of gifts. Um, no one cares. It's it's like you are you have a platform, but you're also like willfully uninformed when you're like, oh, we need to help the poor. And you live in a gated community, and you're not right. helping anyone. Right? And yeah. What like, have what well, have we you done? We need to help those poor, but let's not <laughs> let's not let them be my neighbors. You know, like <laughs> don't move yeah. them into my neighborhood. Yeah. Let's go gentrify <laughs> this area real quick, and we'll we'll, we'll call it helping. Um, I I don't know. I'm torn on that man because uh, yes, I think I think most celebrities could be doing more, but I also feel like I'm not in a position to preach very mm-hmm. much because what the hell have I done? Yeah. You know, what, what, what the hell do I bring to the table um, with my you know, 20 bucks that I've carried in my pocket. Like, it's, it just seems weird. Like to me, like watching millionaires attack billionaires is like, what, yeah. what are you doing? Are, are, are we going to talk about Bernie Sanders? Is that, <laughs> is that what that is? That's I, just how it feels when it's like, Oh, these billionaires haven't don't they are Jeff Bezos donates 50 million. And they're like, Oh, that's a penny. And like, what have you, what percentage of your paycheck did you donate, sir? <laughs> well, okay, like, so, <laughs> but let's, let's, let's flesh that out just a little bit, because I, I read this statistic, and, and I, I like this. It's a common refrain for me when we're talking about the difference between millionaires and billionaires, mm-hmm. okay? So, oh, it's a huge difference. It's, it's massive. If you, let's say you wanted to be, earn your way up to a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were making a, you had a job, and let's say it's your podcast, and you're able to make $4,000 an hour with your podcast, and Clemente's Corners just really taken off, and you never, ever spend that money and you work 40 hours a week, every single week, never take a vacation, and let's say for some reason you were able to start working when we signed the Declaration of Independence, you would just now have made a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. That is an insane amount of wealth. And yeah. uh, I, I definitely sympathize with the argument, and this sounds horrible, and I, I probably shouldn't talk about it in this context, but this, there, is a, there is a mind in, in the back of my head that is saying, you know, that is criminal. In a certain mm-hmm. sense, there, there is a way where you, are, you have aggregated enough wealth that it is a criminal misuse of, of funding. And uh, I'll qualify that with, with Jeff Bezos. I think he's at $173 billion net worth mm-hmm. right now. Um, that's one thing where you're able to say, like, yeah, he made some good moves. He made a big company, and congratulations. Um, let's look at how he built that company. You know, um, how much do you make when you're working at Amazon? 15 an hour? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, it's about 15 an hour. <laughs> yeah, it's about 15 an hour. So... Uh, you know, there's there's a camp of people who are saying, yeah, it's not it, that work is worth fifteen dollars an hour. You know, it's, you shouldn't be getting paid more than that. But if you are building your company up to one hundred and seventy three billion dollars of net worth and mm-hmm. not paying your people better than that, you are, are you really a successful business owner or are you an exploitative um, billionaire? That's a good point. I haven't looked into the details. Well, and and you know, you and I are. It, this is all conjecture from from a, a garage where we're having a podcast. You know, it, we're never going to control enough wealth to move the dial um That's so think. well yeah i won't you will you will <laughs> obviously but i know i have no ambitions to be a billionaire well so i have ambitions to be a millionaire yeah um, I, I have ambitions to meet billionaires and hang yeah, out with them yeah yeah uh, but that is uh, jeff bezos controls the the type of money where if you were to spend it the wrong way you can collapse certain economies mm-hmm. and and that is something that you and i will never ever have to worry about that's crazy to think about <laughs> um and and so, but but to qualify this, I don't know the answer. I don't know mm-hmm. how you fix that. Um, but but I I hate that there is someone who controls enough money 
to fix a lot of problems for people on the bottom rung of society's ladder. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't see him, you know, what is $50 million to him? You know, that's, I think that's a worthy critique. It's, it's good that he gave $50 million. Um, It's also worthy of us talking about like, Hey, $50 million is the exact same thing as you dropping a penny on the street to him. Mm. And we need to talk about why that is and um, what we can do for the people who are not, owning Amazon and what we can do for the people who are uh, struggling because uh, I don't know about you um, but politically speaking I feel completely lost I feel like I'm in, in no man's land right now I don't really identify with with uh, no, liberal candidates and I sure as hell don't identify with Donald Trump. I used to think I was conservative until I started talking to conservatives and I was like oh you people are wild <laughs> yeah well and, and it's kind of the same thing for me I used to consider myself a liberal until yeah. I really started talking to liberal people and uh, you know it's we get about 50% and, and it's a give and take in those conversations, but about 50% of the way I'm like, Oh yeah, I get that. And then it feels like we fall off the deep end mm-hmm. of common sense on yeah. both sides. Both Absolutely. sides. I disagree with conservatives on just about everything socially. Yes. Yes. I remember there was a time where it was, uh, or that it's still a thing. Conservatives say where it's like, if you're on food stamps, you should be drug tested. And when I was just such bullshit, when I was in high school, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And then I actually like got older and I'm, as an adult, like, why the fuck would you do that? That doesn't make any damn sense. No, like, it doesn't. It doesn't. And and it is actually more expensive to drug yeah, test. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It, it, there's, there's a couple of places that tried to implement that program and it ended up costing them more money. And it's, it's like, so dumb. Well, and, and honestly, man, here's here's the thing. Um, same thing as me giving a $20 bill to a, a guy that's homeless on the street corner. Mm-hmm. Um, people will say like, oh, well, what if he's not homeless? What if he's lying? I don't care. Yeah, it's irrelevant. You reach a point where you are, are asking for money on the street corner, your life's probably considerably worse mm-hmm. than where I'm at when I yeah. have 20 bucks to give you. So if he goes out and buys weed with that $20, mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Go buy weed and, and escape life for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or if he wants a hamburger... Go get a hamburger. I don't mm-hmm. care. I don't get to dictate what you do with yeah. the gift that I gave you. For sure. And that's the way I look at, at a lot of our welfare programs. Yeah. Um, I want to try and help people. And if, if only 30% of the people that use that program are gaining actual real tangible benefit from it and the other people are leeching, that is still a better use of my tax dollars yeah. than half the shit the government spends it on. Absolutely. Yeah, like similar principle. A friend of mine, um, we were talking to his dad. It was a while back. But it was... Uh, he didn't want to uh, like tithe ten percent to the church because right. he was like, "Oh, well, it's a mega church; they don't need it," you know. And yeah. the, his dad was like, "It doesn't matter what he does with the money; it matters what you do with the money. You're told to give, so you should give." And how do you feel about that? I think that's a great. I put it in a great perspective for me because I was the same way. I was like, "I'm not going to donate to this mega church," but it's like, I mean, if you're, I don't know your belief system, but you know, if you believe in a higher power and the higher power is calling you to donate to give with your heart give 10 percent of what you make then that's what you're called to do and at, once it's out of your hands it's not your responsibility anymore but you did your part so so i will talk about that a little bit i i think um you know re- religion is such a touchy topic and i have a lot of people that believe i just just straight up i'm, I'm atheist and don't mm-hmm. believe in god um i think a better description for me is is would be like agnostic you mm-hmm. know I, I have no fucking idea i maybe um maybe there's a god maybe there isn't uh, I think the more important part is just being good and, and making mm-hmm. good choices and, and trying to be compassionate. Yeah. And so your actions in that way, if, if a God is capable of sending a compassionate person to hell, I probably want to go to hell um, because I don't want to worship a God that's capable of doing worse than mm-hmm. me. Um, but, but I will say in, in regards to the mega churches, um, that is 
the most criminal enterprise, in my opinion, oh, existing right now. In- Is that what you were wanting me to expand on? Yeah. Sorry, so, I missed, so I missed were, the subject. Talking, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we're talking about like like ten percent tithe from a megachurch. Um, Joel, yeah. Joel Osteen. Um, so I have a I have a music video that's coming out. Um, it's going to mm-hmm. be the the first music video and the first single for the new record, and that is the entire context of that music video. Um, it is talking about uh, the huge dichotomy between what these people are preaching to the 70,000 people that show up to Lakeview church every Mm -hmm. Sunday versus the lives that they are living. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying a preacher shouldn't sin. Uh, I am saying there is absolutely zero reason ever for a preacher to be a millionaire ever. Definitely. That's a hard line. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's Jesus wasn't a millionaire. None of all his followers were fishermen. They were all broke as hell. Well, well, so so here's the here's the problem. If you if you prosperity doctrine is ridiculous. It's, mm-hmm. It is ridiculous on its face, yeah. um, and and it's exploitative. It is it is hurting the poorest in the community, mm-hmm. um, and it and it's capitalizing on the fact that people need something to believe in and someone yeah. to love. And um, I hate that. I absolutely hate it. It's something. It's it's something I'm more passionate about than almost anything. Mm-hmm. And I look at you have a uh, so so Kenneth Kenneth Copeland. Um, you know, he has a couple of big houses. He's got a private jet. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's controlling $700 million, um, right now. So he's, he's one of the wealthiest televangelists. Wow. And, uh, that in context, let's say your, your congregation is, let's, let's assume he has a congregation of 250,000 people. Mm-hmm. What could he be doing with that $700 million for those people? Yeah, absolutely. And instead he bought a jet. That's pretty crazy. It's stupid. Wild. It's stupid. Yeah. And it, and and it bothers me so much and that And he begs yeah. those people for money. Yes. Yes. And, but but he doesn't do it honestly. Yeah. He does it, he does it under the context of God needs your money. Mm-hmm. Um I there is a there is a part in the music video where I have a clip of Kenneth talking and justifying his private jet purchase with another guy uh Jesse Duplantis and um, he says, that's the, that's the thing. That's the thing about our, our private jets. You know, we, we get up in those airplanes and we can talk to God. That bothers me, Matt. That bothers me a lot to watch someone, <laughs> to watch someone justify their jet purchase by saying like, I got to get up in the, in the big metal tube so I can have a conversation with you God. You know why I bought a spaceship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, trying, I, so, I'm trying to see Jesus up there, man. And, and, and honestly, honestly, that's that's why I think you you know if you want to justify not taxing churches, I'm I'm fine with that. I'm mm. fine with you. I'm fine with you having a conversation about like churches don't need to be taxed. Um, I think you have to have checks and balances in there so that you don't have Kenneth Copeland's out there. That's, if if you have yeah. a church that isn't being taxed, you need to to prove mm-hmm. value to the community. Mm-hmm. I think there are plenty of churches out there that are providing uh, clothing and and food and shelter, yeah. and then there's there's tons of other churches that are doing those exact same things mm-hmm. for their own damn people. And I think yeah. it's stupid. That's, that's a topic I want to get into also. I was just thinking like, Hey, Kenneth Copeland, you know, I'm having trouble talking to God. Have you tried getting in a private jet? That should- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. That's- yes. I, and, and, and the, <laughs> the weird disconnect that, that those oh, people man. now have to have between, from the lifestyle that they're living and the people that are giving them the money to live that lifestyle. That's, that's wild. Is wild the thing about the uh i was thinking you know the the tax exemption if they get rid of the tax exemption for churches do they also have to get rid of it for all charities because yeah, they're, they're kind of grouped together right yeah I, I i so that's that's another problem that i had you know i worked for united way mm-hmm. uh, a while back and one of the biggest issues i had was the way that they handled in-kind gifts 
and what you would do is you would be able to write off certain services yeah. as in-kind gifts and that would take away from what you were actually spending as a charity right so mm-hmm. um a perfect example a, a guy that I, I won't name came in and gave a short presentation on synergy and charged us i believe five or six thousand dollars for that that presentation talking oh, wow. about like team building right well that's an in-kind gift because he's able to write it off, right? So now we take five or $6,000 off of my salary. So instead of me earning $30,000 or whatever I was making for, for United Way, now it looks like I'm making 24000 And we keep doing that until my salary goes away. And on the one hand, that looks interesting on paper, right? Mm-hmm. But, but that means that you have someone sitting at the top who's making almost $100,000 a year working for a nonprofit. Yeah. And uh, there's a bunch of people doing menial labor and kind of doing a, the, the, the charity circle jerk of, of uh, oh, yeah, we gave you this. So now it, you, we're helping the community in this way. I'm not saying United Way doesn't add value, but I am saying that United Way is one of the least valuable charities out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, yeah, but well, how do you keep them honest? I don't know. I don't know what your checks and balances are there because we can't even keep our president honest. We, yeah. The checks and balances that are fundamental to our entire government system are broken mm-hmm. right now. So how are we going to? drill this down to a local level i think there has to be a way to like rewrite the tax code but i couldn't be i have no idea how any of that works well and i you know it's already complicated enough i think yeah. I, I am in favor of, of at least having more serious discussions about flat taxes um mm-hmm. you know uh you look at the reason you don't just have a uh, bill come from the irs at the end of the year mm-hmm. is because of turbo tax you know, they, they lobbied a while back and they were saying, hey, you're going to get rid of a bunch of jobs in the tax industry. If, if you make this too easy, please allow us to prepare taxes. And the IRS was like, yeah, that's fine, mm-hmm. but you need to have a free option so that people can prepare their own taxes in a free way. Well, if you've noticed over the last several years, TurboTax started hiding their free version. Yeah, um, I can't. I haven't been able to do it for free. Yeah, so it's still there. It's just harder to find. It's hard, it's hidden on their website. Um, and, and same bitches. way with H&R Block and all, the, all those other companies. And so the IRS basically went back and instead of fixing the problem, Instead, what they did is they removed that exemption from the IRS being able to provide their own program that is free and just basically does everything for you. Mm-hmm. But they haven't built the program yet. Man. So, so you and me take our you know our, our tax forms at the end of the year and plug them into TurboTax and you paid you know anywhere between fifteen and fifty dollars for the program mm-hmm. and then you just cross your fingers that you know you didn't screw up with the bill that they're already sitting on. It's a broken system, and yeah. uh, it. The, the saddest part about it is you are more likely to get audited in the lower income brackets than in the higher income brackets because you have a simpler tax return. Mm-hmm. They don't have the manpower. They don't have the ability to chase down those bigger yeah. people. What do you think is on Trump's tax return? Oh you think he's just avoided paying taxes for the past 10 years? <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't have any idea. <laughs> I, I, I feel like anyone at his level has done some really shady, terrible things on their taxes. Absolutely. And I... I'm, I'm curious. Um, I also think there's a, a whole lot of terrible things that Trump has done that are a lot worse than his tax returns. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I look at the guy, uh, I, I'll bring this up. We, we, we talked about this last night. There was, uh, it's in the context of Nazi Germany where you have, you don't have people that go from buying bread at the local diner to shooting a Jew in the streets. Right. That, that's mm-hmm. never the, the two steps. It's a lot of micro steps where someone pushes you back from your line. Well, what did the Jew do? And <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you and I are looking at this story a lot different than that. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is the line gets pushed so subtly um, over the course of time as, as, as you are living in those situations that you eventually stop pushing back and, and your own personal lines start getting pushed back. And, mm-hmm. and uh, 
Uh, Jordan Peterson talks about this a little bit I, with with some of his. Uh, I know he's a polarizing figure, but I love that guy. Um, I, I do too. I'm a big fan of him. I I uh, I, I thought I hated him because I, mm. I I'm on Twitter a lot, and and Twitter told me to hate yeah, him. Yeah, they but, told you to hate him. But uh, listening to him, he is. Uh, I, I'm going to steal a phrase from a buddy of mine, but uh, he is he is a dad for a dadless generation. Um, mm-hmm. He is he is someone that comes in with a, with a lot of really interesting ideas. Yeah. Um, and and he points out the dichotomies in in a lot of our just accepted ways of speech he's, right now he's not as polarizing as they make him out to be no once you no. actually like listen to him very like, intelligent guy <laughs> very well spoken uh and and has a lot of great points that i think uh i think every comedian can definitely agree with because mm-hmm. y'all are very good at, at looking at how stupid people are being when they're when they're saying things that they haven't, haven't researched at all but mm-hmm. also um if you lack education and you were listening to jordan peterson i feel like you leave that conversation or leave that podcast or whatever it is that he's doing with a mm-hmm. better understanding of, of the fundamentals of something and i don't agree with him on everything but it's kind of cool to listen to a guy that even when i don't agree with him i see where he's coming from and i feel like he would recognize where i'm coming from mm-hmm. you know um and that's something that's missing from modern discourse that's, oh absolutely uh we, we if 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 you are a liberal person and you don't believe in third trimester abortions you're no longer a liberal you know, um, mm-hmm. that, that's that's a broken system. You can't be on the team unless unless you're you're willing to, uh, you know, be in the army on the conservative side. You know, like if, I, if you don't support the military 100 percent when yeah. we're doing whatever, it, you're you're no longer conservative. Mm-hmm. So where are you? Where do yeah. you sit? I think uh, I would support a moderate Democrat if it wasn't Joe Biden. You know, <laughs> I, yeah, Joe, Joe Joe Biden is horrible, horrible. <laughs> and and is he? Would you even consider him a moderate Democrat? I, the, the guy has yeah. has voted. Um, he's just his his record is is abhorrent he's just he's just moderate compared to where the democratic party is right now well and uh, okay i mean this is perhaps an unpopular opinion but running as a democratic socialist is stupid Mm -hmm. um you were trying to garner the votes of people who grew up in the red scare you were you were trying to garner the votes of uh people who have have seen socialism um, firsthand and still remember the history and He's putting all his eggs in one basket, and that basket is millennials. Yes, yes. And and uh, how, how many millennials <laughs> made it to the polls? 13%? Is that, is yeah. that right? Yeah, yeah. Thir- 13%. Um, did, did he not learn last time? I don't know. I, that's that blows my mind, and and I respect the hell out of Bernie. I um, do, and I don't at the same time. I I, I love the guy <laughs> as as a politician who um, has been consistent and mm-hmm. and has true in my heart. I believe he is convicted. I That's think true, he, yeah. I think he he exercises conviction. I'll tell you when I stopped respecting him as much was when I found out that he was not paying his own people fifteen dollars an yeah. hour. that bothered me a lot. And he's um, already agreed to endorse Biden. It's like, do you stand for anything? If yeah. you're like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> which, which I, you know, I, I get the camp that's vote blue no matter who, um, because Donald Trump is such an outlier case. Um, and, and the only time in my life and, and truly, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think back because it, I'll, I'll just stick in my life. The only time in my life that I've looked at the president and thought that guy is, is actually bad. He is mm-hmm. bad for the country. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I disagreed with George Bush on damn near everything, but mm-hmm. I believed that what he was doing in his heart was what he thought was best for the country. Yeah. You can't say that about Trump. You look at what Trump does and what Trump is doing is acting in his own best interest. Always. It seems that way. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, you remember, um, Jimmy Carter divested from his peanut farms. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump has instead funneled government money into all of his hotels. Has he? Yes. Um, Whoa. so, so I what, didn't know that. Yeah. So what you're talking about, and, and the way that he does that is he schedules his meetings at here. We'll meet at Trump Tower. Well, now instead of you paying a rate that you would as as a customer of Trump Tower, where you're staying there as a hotel guest, mm-hmm. you're not paying government rates. And so 
the secret service has to stay there. His whole crew has to stay there. Mm -hmm. And that's all that, that is a moneyed interest in where they are staying. Why does he have to stay at Trump tower? Well, because that makes him more money. Wow. Um, and why is he golfing on Trump golf courses? You know, if, if you look at it through the wrong kind of lens, you Mm -hmm. look at that as a guy who's just like, Oh yeah, he's just, he's using his position to better himself. No, you're talking about a guy who has made a big deal about donating his presidential salary every single year. Yeah. Uh, that is not big money when you were talking about power, when you're talking about someone that is in that control position. Yeah. Um, he has influence and he is able to make money from all of his other investments. Mm -hmm. Um, isn't that illegal? Yes. It's, well, it's a, it's emoluments is, is, is there's an emoluments clause. And I, I, I will reveal my own ignorance in talking about emoluments Mm -hmm. because, uh, it, it is a thing that I just don't have enough education on. But, but to me as a, lame-brained idiot outsider watching that happen, I think I would have problem with that on, on a small scale. Like, if, yeah. if you and I were about to go on a trip for work and uh, you were like, oh, I've, I've, there's great Airbnb. Mm-hmm. There's this great Airbnb. Uh, we'll have to pay a little bit more because, you know, this is with the podcast. we got to pay to have the, the podcast there. And it ends up being your mom that owns the house. Mm-hmm. That's a weird thing, right? Like, yeah. That should make me very uncomfortable Definitely. when I paid a grand for an Airbnb for us to sit in a, in a podcast. That's on a small scale. You're talking about hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of dollars being wasted here. And the fact that, like, the stuff, like, when you're president, you got to get rid of your businesses. And he's yes. like, all right, I'm going to hand them to my kids. Yes. Like, like, why, is that, yeah. why is that allowed? Your kids who are involved in your administration. <laughs> your, your kids who are still a part of your administration. That's, Did, that's insane. Have you seen how much uh, Jared Kushner's made? No. Like, over the past year? No. It's, like, an insane... I forgot what it was, but it was ridiculous. Well, like, and so, so how far away are we banking. From, from a cultural revolution? How far away are we from from people down at the bottom just saying? Uh, I'll, I'll steal another phrase. I don't remember who quoted this, but at a, at a certain point, you just flip the board because you can't get any worse. For like a year, possibly. I, so <laughs> I, I'm torn on it because uh, I, I think we are a year or two out from a very bad recession, possibly depression. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, yeah. uh, we have exhausted. That's one of the scariest things about Trump that I don't know why more people aren't talking about. But as we continue to accrue debt, uh, yeah. you know, we're in the trillions. We we have a good economy right now, he so hasn't you done should be about the debt. No, you should be raising taxes. You should be paying down your debt, um, so that our deficit hopefully gets a little bit closer to the black because mm-hmm. we're doing well. Because the next time we do badly, we are now out of options. Yeah, um, the interest rates are too low. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, and they the, just lowered it a half. Yeah, yeah. What percent are we or something? What are we going to do when people don't have money? What are we going to do when when people can't like like the top one percent can't drive this economy? We've mm-hmm. proven that. Um, they are not moving and shaking. They are not paying their fair share. And even if they were at this point, we're too far gone mm-hmm. into that hole. Yeah. Um, How do you think the economy would do under a, a Sanders administration? Gosh, I don't. I, here's here's my problem with Sanders. And, and uh, again, I can't speak on economics as, as educatedly as I would like. But uh, Sanders is the left version of, of Trump for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't mean that in temperament. I, I think Trump is in a unique case as as an idiot with office um he is brilliant at social media he is brilliant at controlling and manipulating hearts and minds he's high all the time right uh, he has why to doesn't be, anyone talk about that nobody talks about his cocaine addiction yeah he's he's <laughs> snorting in the in the in the presidential bathroom every 10 minutes he has to be um no one tweets at 4 a.m like he does <laughs> if you're not high on cocaine but but i think what you look at with sanders and what i mean by him being kind of like trump for the left is he is just as polarizing mm-hmm. and he is just as unwilling to compromise, I feel. Um, but but I don't I don't think that's something that we're going to be talking about. I think I think it's going to be Joe Biden, 
um, because the entire Democratic convention kind of yeah. uh, circled around him. And, and uh, you, you want to talk about a guy that just has no uh, compass whatsoever. Let's talk about Beto O'Rourke. Oh, I can't stand that guy. I liked him for so long, man. And Robert he, Francis. He turned around and started just just saying fuck to get the the young vote, yeah. and became He's completely like, disingenuous. Whose dick do I have to suck to get elected? <laughs> yes, <That> yes. <laughs> I don't. I don't understand it at all. Um, his his turnaround, and then him endorsing Biden. Yeah, uh, dude. And Buddha judge endorsing Biden? Yes, <laughs> yes. Biden, the, the the same Biden that voted against LGBT, LGBTQ rights, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are you, booty gag? Yeah. yeah. Um, I I also kind of feel sorry for the Warren supporters. You know, I I am not a I'm not a Warren camp. I didn't I didn't yeah. enjoy Elizabeth Warren, but I definitely understand the appeal for her. Did she endorse anybody yet? I haven't heard. I haven't heard if she did. Um, I think she's waiting, but I I thought for sure she was gonna hit, hit up Biden too. Uh, so she I think she hates Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's why I was curious to see if she was gonna endorse mm-hmm. Bernie. And and honestly, that would give me a lot of respect for her if if she's endorsing. Um, a candidate that she more closely aligns with as a progressive, mm-hmm. because I, I would not call Biden a progressive at all. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I feel sorry for her followers because, man, she she kind of got a bad rap there uh, for a little while. Here's here's when I lost respect for Warren, though, when she was claiming behind closed doors that Bernie Sanders had told her that a woman couldn't be president. Oh yeah, um, I don't was care so if that stupid. happened. I, I I don't care. That could have actually happened. Maybe it did. I did but, it didn't happen. Why but, would you wait two years to bring it up? Well, well yeah, that's my thing. Um, if it happened behind closed doors and we cannot prove it, let's start talking about the issues, mm-hmm. Liz. Let's let's start talking about what you're actually going to do for the country, Liz. And did you watch that debate when they questioned him? Yes. And yes. And then the ne- the following up question was like, so how Warren, did that make you feel? Yeah. How did it make you feel when he said that? <laughs> yes. After Bernie said, I didn't say that. Okay. Anyway, Warren, how did it make you feel when he did say that? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking liar yeah. up there. <laughs> well, and that's and that should be a bother to all of us. Anyone that is that is a fan of of the democratic process should be should be looking just as harshly at the media as you have at any given candidate because mm-hmm. uh, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, all of them are anti-American. They yeah. are they are all breaking our system. They've broken our system, and uh, their target they're they're target demographic that they have completely nailed is our grandparents the people who are voting mm-hmm. oh, um, yeah that is uh it, it's it's sad to me to watch how easily easily manipulated that generation is and let's think about why they grew up on walter cronkite they, they grew up on people who were actual journalists yeah. do, you, do you know of any journalism that has happened in your lifetime you've been alive for 26 years now yeah there, there, there's not really at my local college, yeah. shout out West Texas A and M. Exactly. That's and and that is a problem. Is is uh, and I, I tweeted about this the other day, but I I genuinely don't remember the last time that we had a uh, decent piece of journalistic integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, these people are uh, profit motive industries. Um, they're behemoths controlling the national conversation yeah. around politics, and and that is a power. Catchy no headlines. One, yes. No one appreciates how, how powerful that is and how manipulative that is. Yeah. Um, you do not have Donald Trump in office without a mainstream media pushing mm-hmm. him. You just don't. Definitely not. The, like when our grandparents were like younger, they just had the news, you know? Yes. Like they, it was just the news. It well, wasn't like... Shouldn't it be that way? It absolutely should, but they don't even realize that like older people, it doesn't click in their heads like, oh, I'm watching conservative news. Yes. It's like, yes. I'm just watching the news. What do you mean? Yeah, Fox and, is bad. Like this is just the news. <laughs> and again, it goes back to that you're you're subtly getting pushed away from your line. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, that happens subtly for them. You're you're talking about a generation who grew up without the internet, mm-hmm. and now they are in an age where it's it's harder to pick up on those things. It's harder to do your research, and also from a time perspective, 
how do you expect your, your grandmother or grandfather to do research on uh, every single topic that shows up on their Facebook news feed? They yeah. can't. They, they, they it's don't, ridiculous. They, they, how, how much practice do they have researching anything on Google? Mm-hmm. How much practice does our generation have doing that? You know, the, the, the fact checkers are, are dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was once this happened in Russia at this time, this person is on the ground showing you what's happening is now, this is how you should feel about what happened in Russia. This is how you should feel about these people that made this happen. And if they're liberal, they're against you because you feel the right way about this, but they feel the wrong way about this. Where even 10 years ago, man, uh, I could identify more closely with both parties. Mm-hmm. I could I could ride that fence a little bit harder and say, you know what, man? Like we're we're 80% of the way there. Mm-hmm. I, I disagree with, I, I dislike that you don't like the gay people. Um, but but man, I like almost everything else you're talking about. And on the liberal side, you know, I just I don't disagree. I, I disagree with how you've villainized whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But but we're we can meet in the middle. I think there was a lot more camaraderie before we drove this rift. We drove we created this canyon between everyone and now. Yeah. Trumpism. We're screwed. We're screwed. There's I don't think there's a way out of it. I yeah, really don't. I don't. I I kind of enjoy the fact that Trump kind of like threw a the Republican party to pieces. And that's why I'm like kind of interested in Sanders is like, well, he can ruin the democratic party. And yes. then in four and years we'll, we'll have, I don't know, complete chaos maybe. <laughs> well, we might, we might, if we make it that long of if, if we escape the recession that's inevitably yeah. coming. And, and the other thing that I think people have to have to think about is, is, you know, um, if we do have this dissolution of, of the two party system, mm-hmm. um, which I, I think is perhaps more, ca- we, we would be more capable of having something like that if we in, implemented ranked choice voting. So if you, if you say like, Hey, then my number one choice is Andrew Yang. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my secondary choice is going to be, you know, Elizabeth Warren or, or Buttigieg. And, and you go down the list, you give people a better chance to feel as though their vote, vote counts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you can also do some of those risky votes where, uh, I know a lot of Democrats that, that thought it was a waste to vote for Warren, which is insane to me in the primaries. That is that is wild in the primaries yeah. that you wouldn't vote for who you believe in. Um, that is ridiculous. That's, that's the whole purpose. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and and it, it sucks because that, that fear-mongering is, is, I think, what lost her a ton of votes. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's the, the and Bernie Bros coming in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Bernie Bros come in and they say, hey, you know, um, your vote's wasted if you aren't voting for Bernie Sanders. The Bernie Bros are crazy too, man. They are, man. They are. Uh, They're just as radical as the Trump supporters. Um, yeah, like, yeah. What's going and, on? <laughs> and why? Why does anyone think that, that is what will win? And honestly, man, that's that's part of the reason I like Andrew Yang so much. Was he felt as though he was most easily able to reach across the aisle, and he yeah. was also talking about issues. Um, yeah. here, here's the thing. He was it, going through the Rust Belt. Let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Hold on just a second. Um, so so let's feel out what what a yang presidency would look like you know he's he's out there and he's talking about um how dangerous artificial intelligence is mm-hmm. for the average american and he's absolutely right you know what bernie sanders is talking about 15 dollars minimum wage yeah do you know what that does it's not gonna matter I, it does absolutely nothing for the person who just got replaced by a robot mm-hmm. um you you're now your entry level salary is 15 dollars minimum wage um yeah. i'm sorry you can't afford a house on that you can't support a family on that and now you don't have a job because amazon yeah. decided it was cheaper to buy all the robots to replace you. McDonald's is already replacing people with kiosks. Mm-hmm. Taco Bell has done it. Um, you what, have what happens to the to the employee that worked really hard to get, you know, sixteen dollars an hour right now? Like, well, and and, and that's well the, now you're entry level again. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not against us having a conversation about upgrading the minimum wage because yeah. because the reason it exists is what we talked about earlier with Jeff Bezos. Mm-hmm. If you are building your company off of 
exploiting people uh, that, that cannot make a living wage off of what you're paying them, then you are not building a successful business. Mm-hmm. You're just exploiting America's system. Definitely. Um, so, so yeah, that should be a conversation we have. But the more important conversation we have to have is, is that in, I, truly, I believe in the next 50 years, you're losing 50% of the workforce, bare minimum, to automation. Mm-hmm. And what do those people do? I need those people to make money for my business to work because mm-hmm. if no one has money to pay for wedding videos and commercials and, and marketing, I don't make a living. I, I, yeah. How do I pay for my kids' food? How do mm-hmm. I pay for my house? Um, what what am I doing? And I, I'm talking, I am, uh, you know, on the lower end of middle-class America here. So uh, you're talking about the largest section of workers being completely replaced and unable, you know, you have people talking about, well, anytime you automate, you create new jobs. It is much less, uh, it is much less jobs than you are re- replacing with those mm-hmm. robots and is a different type of skilled labor. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm sorry, but I don't think the guy that is driving trucks for a living and has been doing so for 20 years is um, going to just very easily sweep into, oh, now I repair robots. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. That's okay for, for that to happen. We have to figure out how do we support those people in a way that, that moves the country forward. Yeah, definitely. But I've also heard criticisms of Yang and guys who were saying, well, you know, there's been several technical revolutions and we all persevered and we found new new ways to do things. So, I don't know. No, and, and, and I think you're absolutely right. You look at uh, uh, the last industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it opened up new new avenues for people to... Uh, evolve and and there's also the conversation of of uh, adapt or die mm-hmm. you know um that is part of human progress is is leaving behind people who are unable to adapt uh, i think i think part of uh, and maybe this is the idealist in me but the the ideal society should be looking at those people who cannot adapt and who are unable to and instead, instead of saying ah, screw you, you you can't keep up bye mm-hmm. um it is uh, trying to figure out a way to give them a place in this new modern society yeah. Um, and as robots continue to kind of eliminate certain jobs and career fields, I would love to see a focus on uh, encouraging people within their own aptitudes. So, um, you know, you, you are a comedian who could be a lot better at comedy mm-hmm. if you were not having to work at Starbucks. You know, if mm-hmm. a robot was making your coffee and you were now focused intently on being good at comedy, which uh, you were driven enough, I think, to do, mm-hmm. then are you at least in my own eyes, you're adding more value to society now. Um, and society as a whole is better because Matt is entering his art into that society. People are, are exposed to that art and it is a better, higher form of that art. Um, and again, I realize that's utopian and, and mm-hmm. it's never going to happen, but I, that in my mind is a successful society. That is when you have reached peak, uh, if you want to call it capitalism, that's peak capitalism is mm. we, we have now, automated away jobs and we have mm-hmm. enough money and, and resources and robots taking over to allow people to actually pursue their passions and the things that they're yeah. very good at. I did like the, I like the idea of a freedom dividend much more than let's just raise minimum wage. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, and, it, and it makes more sense from a, uh, uh, a whole country perspective. That's part of the reason it's so unifying is like, it's not, let's give the bottom 10% a freedom dividend. It is the entire country. If you're mm-hmm. making 400 million a year, you're still getting a freedom dividend you are still getting a freedom dividend if you barely cross the property line. Mm. And uh, how profoundly would that impact your ability to afford um, things like health insurance? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That would that would change a lot. It does. $1,000 would help a lot. 
And, and, and that's what's crazy to me. Is, it's a is, lot of money for a lot of people. It is. It is. And, and it doesn't sound like a lot when you're talking about it. But, mm-hmm. but a, a thousand bucks is is life-changing amount of money for a very large percentage of America. Mm-hmm. And to discount that idea, I, I, I think uh, I, I think it's a conversation that I wish more, more candidates were talking about, mm-hmm. more candidates were, were fleshing out. Um, I don't know if it's the right one, but it's yeah. one that I'd like to hear talked about more often and debated Definitely. more often, you know? Yeah, and not just ignore it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And cast aside as uh, no, that's 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 the Yang candidate. We're not going to talk to him, or or mm-hmm. um, we're just completely overlooked on all the talk shows. Like, let's start talking about UBI um, as it's been used in the past, and, and where did it fail? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it failed in uh, I think Sweden. I think is where they um, they attempted to implement it. What caused it to fail, and how do we fix those problems? Yeah, I didn't realize that until someone mentioned it to me. But it's been tried several times in mm-hmm. other countries. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah. And, I, that, and that's why I say like, I'm, I'm very trepidatious about it, but it is something it's exciting as a voter to see a candidate talk about something that actually is scary. Yeah. Um, and, and have a very honest conversation about what mm-hmm. are we going to do about this? Yeah. He's no one else is talking about what he was talking about. No. And it, it's pandering. Everyone else is pandering. Yeah. Everyone else is being ridiculous. So. Absolutely. So do you have a, uh, wait, I'll follow up with this question. Yeah. What do you think about? The healthcare system. Do you think we should move to that? You know, government mandated. You you know Nick, um, but for people yeah. people who don't know Nick, uh, he is uh, you know he struggled with with uh, he's kind of immunocompromised. He had ulcerative colitis, mm-hmm. and and so he has been in and out of the hospital for a, a long time. Mm-hmm. And watching him through his struggles and talking to him about uh, the medical system has been eye opening, and has uh, honestly tilted a lot of my views on medicine. Nick is very much in favor of being able to pay for his own insurance and, and, um, you know, buy his way into whatever type of care he wants. And I Mm -hmm. understand and sympathize with that, uh, attitude and and mentality, especially where he's at. Mm -hmm. Um, but as a, uh, parent, a single dad and a business owner who is currently living without health insurance, Mm -hmm. um, it is a strange prospect to me that people would glorify in any way the companies that have exploited 325 million Americans over the last several decades for egregious sums of money to add zero value to our medical system. Mm-hmm. And if we cancel those people out, and again, I, I want to like very harshly harp on this. I do not care if anyone in the insurance industry loses their job. I do not care about them. Um, I think they are exploitative. I think they're evil. They're yeah. Right up there with the preachers preaching uh, prosperity doctrine, in my opinion. I'm glad um, I don't work in insurance anymore. I don't. I don't care. If, <laughs> it, it, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Everyone's working the job that they have to work to get to get food on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you have to work for the uh, the insurance companies anymore if if you're not having to pay a thousand dollars a month to insure your family for something that you're still paying copays with the doctor. You still have a uh, ridiculous $8,000 deductible. Yeah, and absolutely. when you go to the ER, you're still running the risk of going bankrupt. That mm-hmm. is in my opinion, a failure of our yeah, system. Absolutely. And if you look at insurance, insurance as a, as a system, um, universal healthcare makes sense to uh, implement if you get rid of all those insurance companies and you leverage the buying power of everyone paying into that system. Now, government running it and, and breaking it because government runs and breaks everything that it touches mm-hmm. I, is a very valid concern. And it's something that I want, to, I want to talk about. I'm not saying this is the right way, but I am saying that insurance as a whole works because you're leveraging buying power why Mm -hmm. would you not just throw it all into one pot and now your doctors are still getting paid the same perhaps Mm -hmm. more um and you have more people covered and so now you you have people going to the doctor before they need to go to the doctor and becoming healthier 
Yeah. And, and a healthier population spends less money on the medical system. We continue to grow. We continue to excel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's, it's frustrating. It's a good way to put it. I think um, I was very much against it, but like the more I look at it, the more I'm like, well, I mean, our system isn't working, so it's not. maybe we should try it. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and, and I'll tell you, uh, and, and again, this is not fleshed out, and I'm not nearly educated enough to really speak authoritatively with any sort of impact about medicine. But mm-hmm. what I talked to Nick about most recently when we were down there is that what I would love to see is uh, dollars being allocated towards innovative professionals. Um, so when you're talking about a universal healthcare system, uh, if I go to this doctor, the way that we still implement competition is uh, through pricing structures based off of success. Mm-hmm. So um, if I have, let's let's say um, I have some type of heart disease and the best doctor in the country is in Tennessee mm-hmm. for that type of heart disease, well, um, because he is ranked the best, he is getting a larger portion of the medical whatever. Um, so this, this stipend, if it was insurance or if it was universal health care, he's getting a larger percentage of that to compensate him for adding value to the United States of America mm-hmm. by being the best at what he's doing. He's getting paid more. And that implements that that allows you to um, co-opt capitalism in that mm-hmm. in that sense, yeah. um, while still providing for people who need access to that type of care. And let's say let's say I have to get to that doctor. Well, now I'm willing to wait for him because mm-hmm. he's the best. Um, let's say I can't wait for him. There are all these other cardiologists that are lower down on the tier um, that I can go through and look at. Uh, you know, reviews or ranking system managed by a government site or a medical site, whatever. And that's how I choose who I go to for my cardiology problems. And for daily stuff, who cares, man? I yeah. genuinely believe the doc in the boxes here in Amarillo are less capable than a computer of diagnosing half the people that are going into them. Yeah, I mean, I um, can't disagree with that. I, I watched <laughs> I watched these people fumble the ball so much mm-hmm. um, when when I was, uh, you know, watching Nick kind of go deal with it before he moved down to Dallas, and it, it sucks. Oh, yeah, um, I bet it's terrible. It, it's just uh, you, you get angry, and, and dude— Here's the thing. I'm, I'm not in medicine, and so it's, it's harder for me to critique these people who are. But when I screw up at, at, at my job, um, it's, it's just no one dies. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think you have to have a different temperament if you are going to work in that type of field. And it's very frustrating to see people who, um, when they suck at their job, people's lives are on the line. For sure. Absolutely. So. Yeah. And then how many times have you gone in for a checkup and be like, oh, your throat hurts? All right, I'm going to write your prescription. Yeah, yeah. Here's a Z pack. You didn't look at anything. Thank you. Yep. You have no idea what's wrong with me. Yep. Here's, and that's that's it. Uh, yeah. If I could go to a dispenser at Walgreens and get a Z pack, I, th- I think ninety uh, percent of my health problems and, and all that kind of stuff would just be taken care of by by talking to the kiosk. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, honestly, I would probably get better customer service. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the answers, man. I don't. I don't either. It's tough. I don't either. Because I've also heard like competition should drive the prices down. So if we just had more companies, I don't know how it works. I'm not even gonna get into that. Yeah, well, and and I think I think we've proven that that isn't true because has your has your health insurance gone down or up? I don't have any. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, you know I, I pay three three to four hundred dollars a month for my daughter to have insurance. I think I lost my insurance today. Twenty six, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. If you yeah. were on your parents, but but because you work for Starbucks, you have you have opportunity to get pretty decent yeah, health insurance. I can get some more. Shout out my jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Howard Schultz. So yeah, it'd be easy for me to be like, no, let's keep it private since now I'm insured. But you know, it's a lot scarier when you're not. Yeah, definitely. And uh, again, it goes back to me being kind of a being kind of an idealist in in some senses of the word. But when you are uh, when you're ignoring those bottom people in society, the people mm-hmm. who are struggling, yeah. uh, you are you are failing at humanity. Yeah. In favor of of uh, protecting capitalism, and I think that's wrong. But for uh, people like in Nick's situation, yeah, where 
they want to go to the best and they're willing to pay more. If we go full government mandated, does that is that a negative for him? It is. It okay. is. Um, and and that's that's the hard thing for me to uh, you know when he and I have discussed this, it's hard for me to wrap my head around because uh, a I'm I'm speaking from a much less educated position than him. You know he's been mm-hmm. in the system for long enough and seen how it works. Um, you know the the doctors up at the Mayo Clinic um, saved his life in a lot yeah. of in a lot of senses. And um, how do you put a price on that? And you don't wait in line for that. You pay money. Mm-hmm. And the uh, as sad as it is, the ability to be to be able to go into bankruptcy to protect yourself and to save your own life is uh, kind of unique to our system. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I don't know how you implement the two systems. And, and I think that's the failure of Obamacare is trying to juggle both systems. I don't think you really have both of them working at the same time. I think you have an either-or situation. Mm-hmm. And when you try to use both, you're not actually able to leverage buying power across either one and everyone's prices go up. Yeah. But... I think we just need to kill off some people, man. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. And that's, that brings up the second book, Hitler Wasn't Wrong. You know, that you're about. <laughs> Stop preventing viruses. Yeah, yeah. Stop, no, um, I'm kidding. Hitler, Hitler was wrong. Let's just stop vaccinating for like 50 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, a... Thank, thank God Gwyneth Paltrow is taking care of that for us. Yeah, with our... Uh, Goop. Vagina candles? Goop. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah she, that, that's just a wild, wild system. Wild system. And... She has to know she's exploiting people, right? With her candles? I'm kind or do of you con- think she believes in it? What's going on with Gwyneth Paltrow, aside from her vagina and candles? So she, she runs Goop. She runs the magazine Goop. She has mm-hmm. that new Netflix special, and it's all a bunch of fake medical stuff. It's all a bunch of homeopathy that doesn't work. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, all yeah, really yeah, dangerous. Yeah, yeah. It's all super dangerous. In fact, she had to retract one of their products and didn't apologize to people or anything. Like didn't, didn't actually acknowledge that it didn't work, but like the FDA came in, and they were like, hey, this will give you an infection, or this will <laughs> risk death. You can't do that. Yeah, sounds like Herbalife. <laughs> yeah. But my follow-up question was, is there a candidate you uh, that's left that you see yourself voting for? Uh, you know, man, I'm, I'm torn. Uh, I, I won't vote for Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like the onus is on us to vote for the you know the vote blue no matter who kind of thing mm-hmm. i hate joe biden though man and i yeah. i see sanders is terribly polarizing it's going to be a very hard vote it's going to be a very okay. hard vote to I'm cast in, in 2020 i'm in the same boat as you i don't think i'm voting and then people are like if you don't vote that's also voting yeah I yeah i uh, so i voted <laughs> a, a lot of times my my vote my vote is uh is one of discontent mm-hmm. um so in the past if i have been frustrated um, or I dislike a candidate. I, I voted for Stephen Colbert um, as as a joke, you know. And mm-hmm. and and more than anything, I wanted to tally as like I didn't even vote for Green Party. I hate all of you. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year feels a lot more important than most. And yeah. uh, I I just I would hate to see another four years of Trump. Yeah, I, I, I feel mean, like he is a dangerously vitriolic character mm-hmm. um, on a national stage. And when you talk about international relations with someone like him or someone like. Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders, I still would rather have Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden talking to a foreign prime minister than See, I don't know. Donald that, Trump. It seems to work out in Trump's favor when he does it, when he talks to them, you know? I, I like mean, the China not, thing's working out, right? You're not wrong. You're not wrong. There are certain things that are that are a lot better. Um, you got North Korea to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and uh, what was the World War Three thing that we were all sketched out about? Uh, oh, best memes on Twitter in years. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I think... Uh, I yeah, think that for, he threatened him. He's like, I'm going to bomb 30 of your sites if you fuck with us. Like, yeah, yeah, and, like I think this cr- maniac is serious. Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, and, and maybe maybe that is a point to his favor. He's just crazy enough to scare everyone. But yeah. um, I, he still strikes me as, as one of the more dangerous figures in, in modern history. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I don't know, man. I really don't. I, I'm, I'm more than likely I'm going to vote for whoever the Democratic mm-hmm. candidate is. Yeah. But, but there is there's definitely not a happy vote. I'm not going to be skipping yeah. to the polls. And uh, I think that's frustrating. Um, I, I feel underrepresented on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. I mean, it always comes down to the lesser of two evils. And I'm tired of that being a thing it is because like i voted i voted for trump in 2016 because i was like well i think he's a little bit better than hillary Mm -hmm. and i don't want to do that again no i I don't want to be like oh i think this guy's a little bit better even though i don't like him right right (laughs) i I, I think uh but i don't know what the correct solution is there i don't know how i how i you protect people who are voting um conscientiously Mm -hmm. and allow them an opportunity to to have representation when you have just a two-party system i think i think we're Right now, experiencing all of the uh, the broken parts of a two party system and mm-hmm. and uh, broken parts of democracy. I'll bring back the wigs. The wigs. <laughs> Did you know they all wore wigs because they were balding from syphilis? Oh, that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I knew. Uh, I think Ben Franklin had syphilis. Um, a lot I didn't of know. Them, I didn't know all of them. Some horny, yeah. dirty bastards. Well, you know, it was a different time. Different yeah. time. <laughs> Probably didn't have condoms yet. <laughs> no, I, I doubt they did. Well, didn't they have a uh, lambskin? Probably. I think that's what yeah. I think that's what they used back then. Just harder to get get to. Well, I don't think it protects about against anything but pregnancy. Yeah, probably, because um, yeah. because it's not latex. I think lambskin is porous. Like I've got to grab my lantern and ride my horse down to <laughs> all subs so I can grab a condom. One if I land, two if I see. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, th- those were those were different times, and and uh, I, I. As much negative as we have talked about, mm-hmm. um, we are living in one of the more exciting times in history. Yeah, very exciting. It's, it's innovative. There's a lot of really crazy technology and and crazy ideas being tossed around we are on the cusp of greatness and the best comedian on the planet is currently in the white house (laughs) like is that not crazy to you i will i will say man like the guy has an ear for comedy sells out arenas do you see him make fun of mike bloomberg uh many mike was he he squatted down down? (laughs) that is insane to watch and and dude i so so i want to first address that like that is wrong and i think it's so crazy that we have a president doing that but b mm. like if i'm able to step back away and pretend i'm a european for a little while that is hilarious it's really you know funny, yeah. let's pretend that, the, that his decisions don't affect me at all um <laughs> it's it's uh it's wild it's a wild situation to live in it really is crazy times but it's exciting i don't I don't take I don't take things too seriously because if you do you're just gonna be upset. So well, yeah, and uh, <laughs> uh, if if you took things too seriously, you'd be a terrible comedian. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? I was gonna pull up a video, but I don't know how to find it. It's not on YouTube. No, it was on Twitter. I have to pull it up after this. Okay. Anyway, it is two thirty-two. I gotta wrap it up soon. Um, any final words? Go find this man's book, Amazon. It is called Mod. No mod. No mod. Yep. No mod. Book one of the Mute Cat Chronicles. I'm very, very proud of it, and uh, I'm I'm excited to hear what people think. I'm I'm really excited to kind of have some conversations about it. The mm. the next book should be out a little bit later this year. Oh so, yeah. And uh, and I have an album coming out later this month. So nice. Um, What's the name of the album? I don't like me either. Oh okay. Um, that's a that's a theme you've been having for a while. It is. It is. Uh, it's it's something. It's a I've built the whole brand around it. Nick is finalizing mixes and everything like that. It's actually where I'm about to go is go record a little bit more um, with the uh, bass player. So swag puppies. Swag puppies indeed, my friend. So that's thank dope. you for thank you for having me on, man. I really yeah, appreciate man. it. This I was, got to uh, 
I'm gonna link up with Nick eventually because yeah. he was like, when you move to Dallas, I want to be, I want to be the Jamie to your Rogan, and I was like, hell yeah, yes, let's, yes, let's rock it. Yeah, well, and uh, if you if you ever want to hop on Modern Warfare, squat up with us. We'll. I can't. We'll enjoy having you. No, okay. can't do it. All right, well, I'll just. You're I, missing out. You're I'll, lost. I'm gonna be able to shoot anyone. So. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> just gonna be running in circles, dying. All right, but you guys will have fun. We All right, thanks for coming right. on, man. Hey, thank you. When's your? Do you have another gig? You don't have one uh, yet, yet. March twenty seventh is, is supposedly the next one. Twenty seventh. That's yeah, a Friday. It should be announced pretty soon. You can you can check me out on Twitter and and uh, on Twitter I'm that Porterfield on uh, Instagram it's Derek Porterfield is not cool. So don't play until after nine because I'll be at Starbucks. Okay, yeah, I'll, okay. I'll wait for you. Um, Do it. And I'll just let him know. Hey, I'm sorry. Or come play at Starbucks. Oh, I might honestly. I used to play at Starbucks, so. I didn't know if they let people play there. It depends on the owner, shop nice. owner. But yeah, sometimes they're real cool about it. So oh, yeah. And honestly, sometimes uh, those big corporations are cooler than local businesses. So True. All right. Peace out, world.